Welcome again to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. I'm thankful that you are joining me again, and I hope you're having a great week. Uh, things here in Texas where we live and our side of the country are a little bit cooler than they were, not uh, cold by any means, but weather is better lately, and we're thankful that fall's quickly approaching. Uh, so hope where you live, uh, you're enjoying God's creation. Well, we are going to going to continue today our series called What's Happening. It's a new series that we started about three or four weeks ago. Hopefully you've been staying up on it or you can go back and get those episodes. I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on whatever uh, platform you're listening to the podcast so that it'll come up each time uh, each week. We do one per week. Uh, That's all really I have time to do right now as a pastor and so on. So I hope you're staying up with us. This is a great subject Uh, Because what we're really trying to cover in this new series is a variety of topics dealing with various things that are happening in our world, in our uh, local uh, lives, if you will, our homes, our churches, uh, where we live. Uh, And so it's kind of like looking at what's happening all around us. And we need to be aware of what's happening. You remember when Jesus said to uh, to the this, uh, the actually the Pharisees and so forth, when he was scolding them for their unbelief. At one point he said, beware of the signs of the times. Um, and I tell you, a lot of Christians seem to be uh, naive or lack discernment when it comes to really uh, watching and seeing and, and really comprehending what's happening around us. So this series was thought up for just that purpose, to look back at various things. Uh, I've picked six or so subjects that I've already uh, reminded you we're going to cover, and uh, we'll probably add to that maybe, I can't promise how long this series will go, and we may interrupt it and do something else. We're not setting concrete on anything, thankfully. Podcast, doing these recordings is is uh, such a blessing. The technology is so easy. I sit here in my office and can do it uh, easily. Uh, so anyway, uh, our first subject we've been covering now is politics and government. And uh, not by reason of its being more important than the others we'll cover. I just wanted to stay uh, or start with this one, I should say, because uh, there's a lot happening in the political realm here in America. If you happen to be listening outside of the states and maybe you're not from the U.S., uh, maybe some of this will help enlighten you if you're if you are interested in knowing what's going on in our country and you have your own political situation you ought to be up on and know what's happening in your own Uh, country. So anyway, uh, we've been answering some basic questions up to this point. We haven't got real specific to, uh, you know, the nitty gritty of what's happening in American politics and American federal and state government, which we will. And I hope to, uh, you know, put my two cents in on, on those issues. But our main purpose in covering any of these topics in this new series is, of course, to see what God says. That's my goal. That is my heart, my motto, my desire. In all of these podcasts, always go back to see what God says. It doesn't matter what James Hamilton believes, what our church, Arlington Baptist Church, teaches or believes. That is all irrelevant if it doesn't line up with what God says. And so we always go back to the Bible as the final arbitrator and standard of all truth. Now, we've covered several questions. I like to use a question kind of format and then answer those questions. So we've talked about how did government arise. We talked about what is the purpose for government? How is it to operate? And then today, 
uh, I want to go further into uh, kind of a different facet of the last question I covered last week on the episode, which was, what is a Christian's responsibility to human government? Uh, now, we want to take a couple of key passages today to kind of launch us into our discussion. So, if you have your Bible, I want to go to a passage that's uh, often looked at as probably the uh, key passage uh, in the New Testament about the separation of, of what we might call the secular and the spiritual when it comes to uh, government, it comes to uh, the society itself. And I'll read from Matthew 22, beginning in verse number 15. Let me read this passage, then I'll use it as a springboard to get into what we want to talk about today. In verse 15, it says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, Jesus, in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth, Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. By the way, just to add a little statement about these two verses already, uh, this is just what we call uh, flattery and buttering somebody up before you try to go in for the kill. They were trying to, of course, uh, trip him up as they often did. And here we see it in their question from verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute or taxes uh, unto Caesar or not? Well, this is a pretty loaded question. They're asking Christ his opinion on a very secular kind of uh, everyday occurrence that the common man had to deal with, paying taxes. We all have to pay taxes. None of us like it, but it's a necessary evil for life. And they think they're going to get Jesus in a conundrum. They think they're going to get him in a spot here by his answer. But notice what he says. He always outmastered them and made them look stupid by the end of these conversations. Uh, but Jesus perceived their wickedness. Listen to that, their wickedness. It's an evil thing they were trying to do. And he said, Why tempt ye me, or test ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, or maybe the smallest uh, currency, uh, coin currency, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? Whose picture it is, is it on this coin? They sent him Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Here's the famous statement that I know you're aware of and everybody's heard, Render or pay therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, I'm going to use this a little interchange or dialogue between Jesus and uh, you might call it his enemies. Not that he treated anybody as an enemy. They treated him as their enemy. Um, about what Jesus said in that famous statement, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. We know that Caesar there would refer to the government in any uh, capacity. There was a Caesar ruling over the world when Jesus said these uh, words. Uh, Israel, along with much of the known world at that time, was under Roman occupation, Roman rule. So, but we want to take it into our own modern, uh, you know, vernacular to look at these uh, thoughts. He's telling us, uh, and, and remember, he's not saying this to Christians, so he's saying this to all mankind because human government, as we've already been talking about, was established, ordained by God for all of humanity, not just for saved 
people, but for all humanity to create peace and order and and freedom. Uh, we talked about, but Jesus says something about taxes here that could be used as a, a general principle we ought to think about as, as a whole. We as Christians, here's our responsibility. Our responsibility to the government is to, we talked about last time, be submissive, be humble, keep the laws, uh, as long as those laws do not directly contradict God's law, <coughs> pardon me, and uh, to pray for our leaders and to be good citizens, to be submissive, to be humble. We're not riotous, uh, uh, you know, uh, rebels trying to overthrow the government. That is not Christ's way in any group that claims to be Christian that is pushing that kind of a scenario is totally out of God's will. Uh, so he says, render unto Caesar. So that means you and I as Christians, I'm talking now about uh, saved people. What is our responsibility? Now, I could say it about all of mankind. Yes, there are certain responsibilities that even the unsaved, the non-Christian world has towards their government. But in these podcasts, in this subject, I want to talk about what's happening uh, for us as Christians and how we as saved church members and churches and so on that are trying to serve the Lord, be faithful, uh, make a difference, have an impact. What uh, What is our responsibility? Well, uh, first of all, we're to give Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay, in other words, we're to respect and, and submit and, and pay for and acknowledge the things that belong to the government in secular society. It has its place. Uh, we should uh, be uh, good citizens. We should abide by the laws of the land. Uh, we should pay our taxes in this particular case. Uh, we know taxes. Let me just say a word about taxes. No, nobody likes them, I just said. Uh, but they are a part of what government is there for. You know, way back in the book of Genesis, one of the great stories, uh, one of the great uh, accounts in all of the Bible, one of my favorite, is the account of Joseph and, and him becoming the second in command to Pharaoh during the uh, seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine that uh, Pharaoh's dream uh, foretold. But anyway, you'll remember, and I'm not going to go into it or go back to the passage and study it in any depth, but just to tell you that even Joseph, a very godly, wonderful man, given interpretation ability by God, he told Pharaoh that he was to tax his people a certain amount of grain to save uh, for the uh, famine later. And it was a form of taxation. Uh, and, and in fact, if you read the passage closely, he exempted the priest or the spiritual um, side of life, those who were involved in, in, in spiritual work, not just to the true God there. He was talking about even the pagan priest in Egypt, but he still developed a principle way back in the first book of the Bible. That's fantastic. If you really think about it, go back and read it. He said that they were exempt from paying taxes, but everybody else had to. Now, Taxes are a way of life. I mean, you couldn't have the things you enjoy uh, in your country. We uh, who are uh, who live in America, I was blessed to be able to be born in America and live my whole life in this country. I live mostly in, in Ohio and then in Texas here a long time too, but uh, we enjoy certain federal uh, benefits uh, as a whole nation, the United States of America. Uh, but to have the things that we enjoy and, and we depend on, uh, such as our road system, such as uh, our protective uh, 
uh, rights uh, as citizens, uh, to have uh, the police, uh, the sheriff's department, to have the fire department, to have EMTs and so forth to, in emergencies. We enjoy all those things because we pay taxes to maintain them. Somebody has to pay these police officers that are putting their lives on the line. Thank God for them. We love them and pray for them, all our law enforcement. How about our military? If it wasn't for taxes that we pay, we couldn't uh, field an army and, and a military that defends our country, both at home and abroad. And so what I'm saying about taxes, even though none of us likes paying taxes, and we have a right to voice our opposition to excessive, abusive, wasteful taxation and wasteful spending, and that's a whole other issue I better not get into. I'll get on, on my soapbox on that one. But just to say that we shouldn't be anti-taxation. You may know the famous, somewhat famous uh, story about a, 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 a very well-known creation teacher uh, who years and years ago, I think, got involved with the wrong crowd of, of Christians who were basically uh, kind of pushing almost a right-wing militia kind of, you know, live in a commune and go against the government. And this particular Christian uh, creation teacher uh, was refusing to pay taxes, refusing to to take a, a social security number, or at least he was standing for principles like that. And he unfortunately was arrested and, and put in jail and spent many years in jail for it. Now, I respect his right to believe what he did. We believe in freedom of speech, but I think he shot himself in the foot, so to speak, because Christianity does not teach anti-taxation, doesn't teach anti-government. Now, let me get into a subject that we have to broach at some point. Uh, yes, because we live in a society here in the United States that gives us certain rights as citizens, we can uh, oppose the government in, in the right way, not in a violent upheaval, but by voting for certain people to change the government, to make our grievances known. That's in the First Amendment, the right of, re, uh, of grievous uh, things to be addressed. Um, of course, we have certain rights, and so uh, we, we utilize those rights. And I'll talk a little bit more about how I think that's a biblical principle. But just basically to say this, when it comes to rendering unto Caesar, this is our res uh, responsibility as, as Christian Americans, uh, that we are to support uh, the government by giving of our taxes. Now, we can vote new representatives in and some out that needs to get out of office who are abusive and negligent in these areas. That's true, and I'm all for that. And I am a big proponent of Christians being involved in the government, which I'm going to get to in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. But just to take this passage and this principle that Jesus gives us, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. He said, hey, the picture on that coin shows Caesar. I'll give, give Caesar what's his. Now, he wasn't in any way, let's not be too far to the other side. Jesus was not supporting everything Caesar was doing. When he said to render unto Caesar, he was not putting a blanket uh, uh, commendation, uh, a blanket approval on everything the Caesar or any Caesar or any government leader does. We've got to remember something, folks. When we vote here in America, I, I've always tried to remind our people this at church, and maybe your pastor does, um, we're not voting for a Sunday school teacher. We're not voting for a pastor when we, when we vote for our, what we might call secular leaders, okay? That's just, 
don't take that wrong. I know there's nothing secular about our lives as Christians. Everything is involved in our commitment to God, how we think, how we act in every area. But just for the sake of the point I'm making, when you're voting for a representative, whether that be a a state or federal representative, the House, the Senate, the presidency, your local uh, mayor's races, the school board, city council, all these things you ought to be voting for, by the way. Every time you get a chance to vote, go out and vote. I don't think anybody has a right to complain about anything happening in our country and in where they live if they're not even voting. That is just a 101 elementary level of involvement that every Christian ought to be doing. But back to the, the, the whole idea of, uh, of what you and I as Christians ought to be, be doing, we, we ought to realize that in the secular realm, we're voting oftentimes for the best of two evils. I know some people don't like when I describe it that way, but, you know, I have to when I go into that ballot bo- booth or box, wherever it is, uh, and vote. I, I'm not always 100% behind any candidate. I often joke, but I'm not really not joking when I say, I wish I could one day before I die, before the Lord comes, either one that comes first, um, I wish I could go into that that booth or that ballot area and vote for somebody I really, really liked that was 100% or at least close to 100% uh, supporting the views I have. But that's probably never going to happen. Uh, what I try to do is vote for the person and and the positions that are most closely related to what I, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a believer in Christ, as one who believes in his word, the one who believes and stands for the things that are closest to that. But anyway, so remember, you're not voting for a Sunday school teacher or a pastor. Go in there and vote anyway. To not vote is, to me, uh, a total mistake. It's not an option. Uh, vote for the better of the two candidates. Uh one who's less worse than the other. I don't care how you want to describe it. Uh, and I think that's our responsibility. So, uh, by the way, I could include, I need to probably say at least something about that last statement Jesus made, and unto God, the things that are God's. That means, yes, we have a responsibility to the government, to this this life right here and our involvement in our country and politics and government, yes. But ultimately, God's domain is the greatest. His kingdom is greater than any earthly kingdom. And our allegiance is ultimately to God and not to a man. Now, back to the question. I want to further develop this. So, we talked about what our responsibilities ought to be and we ought to we ought to be involved in, in voting and we need to pay our taxes. We need to keep the laws of the land. We need to be humble people. Here's a, here's a good area that we need to get into, and that is how involved should Christians be in the political process, which I've already talked about voting, so let me go further than that. I mean, is it right or wrong for a Christian to run for office or to be uh, an official in the government? Um, now, there are some Christian groups, believe it or not, uh, I don't hold this position, but they do, that don't think that Christians ought to ever get involved in politics. I mean, there's some so far to the extreme that, you know, we ought not even vote. It's, uh, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, And they misunderstand, I think, and misrepresent what God is teaching us. There is nothing wrong. And in fact, I think it would be right and we should try to be involved in the political process in whatever way we possibly can. Just think of this. 
imagine if we had uh, even 10 to 20 percent uh, of of officials in our local, state, and federal government that were born again believers. Now we don't. I'm sure we don't. But I'm just making a I'm making a hypothetical case here. If we did, imagine the impact that those Christian politicians, those officials would have on our country. I believe there are a few out there. There are some good Christian uh, legislators, uh, representatives, senators. Um, I don't know if we've ever had a, a really born-again president for at least for a while. Uh, I'm a big fan of our early presidents in American history. I think George Washington uh, can be proven to be a believer. I think Abraham Lincoln perhaps even at the time he was in office, became a believer. Um, there's a book that I haven't read. I think I, I purchased a used copy of it about George Bush the second, uh, that he may have indeed been, been a born-again believer. Um, but other than, than a couple like that, I don't know we could say that we've ever had a born-again president. But would it be wrong for a Christian to run for the presidency or for any office? I don't think so at all. Uh, let me give you some examples. Some of the greatest men in, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, uh, were directly involved in government. So God didn't see this so-called separation of church and state, which we've kind of mentioned already, but we'll need to deal with more and more. He did not see that as meaning that you should stay out of the government as a believer, as a as a Christian. Uh, no, it's really our founding fathers uh, who... Thomas Jefferson first coined that statement, he did it more to say the government ought to stay out of the church's uh, domain. The government has no right to establish a state church, to claim what church is going to be the the uh, official church, and to, and to have the secular civil government as its arm of, of carrying out laws. And that's, by the way, what was done in all of the previous uh, state church governments in Europe before America was founded. Every country in Europe had a state church that had the the church and the state wedded together to where the state carried out the dictates, even spiritual doctrinal beliefs of the church. This was a, a horrendous uh, error and mistake, never taught by God. They should have even just read the verse I just read to you and understood that. You separate Caesars from God's. And so back to the responsibility, or maybe I should say the, uh, the freedom that Christians would have to hold public office. I think they can and should. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Some of the greatest men in the Bible uh, uh, were involved in politics directly. Think about King David. Uh, David is called a man after God's own heart. He's one of the great men in the Old Testament. If you were to list on, on one hand, the five greatest, most influential characters in Scripture outside of the Lord himself, of course, um, you'd probably have to put David on that list. And he was a king, but he was a very spiritual man. He was very godly. God made a spiritual promise to him that from his line, yes, a civil royal lineage would come his son, Jesus Christ. So how couldn't we agree that uh, politics and, and spirituality uh, should mix, uh, or should mix. They should. Uh, there's nothing that condemns that. Um, one of the great uh, heroes of the Old Testament is, a, is, a, is another uh, man whose name begins with a D. It's Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And if you'll study Daniel's book, what a tremendous book, 12 chapters, but just packed with half of its prophecy, half of its narrative. Um, but Daniel became a leading official uh, 
not only in the administration of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, but later in Cyrus and Darius's, um, or Darius, however you want to pronounce his name, in the Medo-Persian Empire that followed Babylon. And he was a big official. In fact, I happen to believe, I won't take time to develop this, it's not really our purpose, but if you read closely his impact, Daniel's impact, on Nebuchadnezzar first, in chapter 4 especially, and then later in chapter 6 uh, on, uh, on Darius, um, you'll see that it, apparently Daniel had, had won them to, to faith in the God of Israel, the one true and living God. They were converts, I think, to the true God because of Daniel's influence. Now, wait a minute. He was still a prophet. He wrote scripture down, apparently. He definitely got prophecy from God, uh, but yet he was directly involved in the government. So to say that Christians should not be so political and we shouldn't be involved in the political process, I don't think it lines up scripturally. I think God gives us that freedom. Now, let me say it does depend on your country that you live in. That's true. Um, how involved can a Christian be in politics in communist China today? Uh, very, uh, in a, very little, I'm sure. Uh, in these dictatorial um, totalitarian regimes where people do not have freedom uh, to vote in a legitimate uh, election. Uh, of course, they're limited, and they don't have any choice but to do certain things, or they lose their lives, or they must go underground to, to worship and so on. Uh, we can't use them as the model, uh, but we must say that when the opportunity is, is, is there for a Christian to be involved in, in the political spectrum, they should. There's nothing that keeps us from that. And uh, I think I'll definitely do at least one podcast about our American heritage uh, as being uh, strongly, foundationally Christian. And there's no doubt in my mind, anybody that tries to make the foolish statement that Christianity was not part of the American founding uh, that person is simply ignorant, I can tell you. And, and I'll probably do at least one podcast to kind of get into some of that um, foundational truth. But anyway, back to another New Testament figure now. And I think this is a beautiful one. We talk about David, a uh, king, and we can talk about all the other kings too, but David's the most outspoken and well-known. But I'll tell you another man in the New Testament that really teaches us that it is all right to be involved in politics and to use your citizenship from your country as a means to enjoy certain freedoms. Hey, aren't you glad if you live in America as a citizen, you have the right to, to freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, freedom of the press. Um, all these things that the First Amendment, along with all these other amendments that are so vital, the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, and so on. Um, you know why we enjoy those? Because we're citizens and we've been given those freedoms to enjoy. And so to say that we shouldn't be involved in the political process at all would be like saying we can't enjoy what our country provides for us because of those political and governmental institutions. And we should. Now, let me give you the example of Paul. Paul, my great hero, hero of many, uh, many preachers and Christians, uh, probably one of the greatest men that ever lived. Uh, no doubt the most upstanding, outstanding Christian in the first century, uh, not to take away from anyone else. Uh, of course, the apostles were wonderful men, all of them, and Paul's called an apostle, but not the same as the original 12 apostles. But 
Paul, we know, if you study his story from the book of Acts and from his letters afterwards, um, was a Roman citizen, uh, born in a free Roman city, Paul of Tarsus. And we know that Paul used his Roman citizenship to his own benefit. So Paul was not anti-government. He And Paul never uh, got a group together to march on Rome to overthrow the Caesar. You never see Paul being a riotous, rebellious person. Neither do you see him totally avoid government issues either. He's the one who wrote about, in Romans 13, about you know uh, submitting to the higher powers. Uh, there's a great passage that kind of plays into this very well. It's when Paul had went to Philippi on his... Um, second missionary journey. And remember, when he went to Philippi, um, they had this uh, temple to the false god Diana. Paul was preaching. He was winning so many people to Christ that it put in jeopardy the continued worship of this false god. In other words, long story short, they arrest him. Remember, they throw him in the, in the uh, jail there at Philippi. And a man gets converted. The Philippian jailer is converted. Well, I want to go to the end of that story, what happened after Paul and Silas had been arrested. Remember, uh, uh, God sent an earthquake and broke open the bars of the, of the prison, but Paul calmed all the prisoners as well as the, the uh, keepers of the prison, the, the one man especially, but others, I'm sure, too, not to kill themselves and so on. But Paul had been mistreated. He'd been beaten. The Bible says they'd been beaten. He was beaten earlier in the text, but... Uh, notice, I'm going to read from verse 35 through 37, and notice what it says about Paul using his Roman citizenship to his own advantage. It says, and when it was day, this is after the night when the whole earthquake happened, and Paul goes to the home of the Philippian jailer and preaches the gospel, and his whole house is converted, the house of the Philippian jailer. Anyway, and when it was day, the magistrates... That's the kind of officials, the leading officials of the city in Philippi, sent the sergeants. Um, that's kind of the, now we can talk about the, the prison keepers, like the warden or the prison guards, saying, let those men go. In other words, after this had all happened, and we can kind of read between the lines why they said this, but they said, just let the men go. But listen to what Paul did. Very intriguing. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go, now therefore depart and go in peace. Now you think Paul would have said, well, thank you, I'm glad to be free and no harm done. No, listen to what Paul says. But Paul said unto them, verse 37, they have beaten us openly uncondemned being Romans and have cast us into prison and now do they thrust us out privily or, you know, tell us to leave, just throw us on the street privately without the people or anybody else knowing. Nay, verily, he says, no, no, truly no, but let them come themselves and fetch us or bring us out. So all I'm saying is you can notice where Paul uses his Roman citizenship as a tool to get justice in this situation. They had been mistreated. He said he was a Roman, and Silas must have been a Roman too. He said, we're both Romans. We have certain rights as Roman citizens. citizens. And one of those rights is you cannot beat a man and prison a man without a, 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 a charge against him and a trial, so to speak, an arrest. And we, by the way, in our American jurisprudence system, we take many of our... Um, uh, you know, jury system and, 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 and uh, the jail and, and arrest system and, and all that 
trial by jury and all that from the Roman uh, pattern. And so you can see where Paul was playing on the fact that he was a Roman citizen. Now, he couldn't have done that if he had seen politics as kind of a total no-no, area where we don't get into as Christians, we leave that sphere of life alone. No, he didn't believe that. Um, He said, hey, I'm a Roman. I should not have been beaten. Let those sergeants come, uh, or the magistrates, I should. Let them uh, explain to us what they did. Let them live up to it. So it might just be a small example, but it's still an example I think worthy of mentioning that you and I as Christians have every right to be involved in politics. I wish more Christian politicians would run for office. I sure vote for them, and we've had some. And I think there's a a kind of a real uh, change of atmosphere in America in the last several years, especially with the present political situation and after COVID uh, I think there's more and more Christians getting involved, at least people of moral, godly decency running for office. And my, uh, my encouragement to them is, is keep running and we'll keep voting for you because we need to see our country changed. Well, I went a little bit over, so I'll stop for today. We'll pick up on some more issues and get maybe into some specifics about the American political situation right now. We'll do that on our next episode, Lord willing. Remember our motto, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.